Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, July 17, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and let me start by apologizing because we did at least suggest on the last podcast that we'd record another podcast at Peach Jam, and we tried, I swear to you, we actually tried. Got into a hotel room, I sat down in a comfortable chair, waited for Norlander to hook everything up because he would brought a whole new setup to allow us to record in person. He was very excited about everything. And then he realized that he had lost his microphones, which made it impossible for us to record. So let's start there, Norlander. Did you ever actually find your microphones? Have they been recouped? They've not been recouped. I know exactly where they are, Parrish. They are underneath the driver's seat of my rental car, the story about that isn't that interesting, and it's a bit too long to share for this podcast. But regardless, I would love if the rental car company out of Augusta, Georgia, could somehow, some way, find it in their hearts to just hear my pleas and go to that car parish and reach under the driver's seat and get those microphones. They are not cheap by any means. Uh, use them not just to record podcasts, but to play gigs and all that good stuff. So we want to, we want to deliver this podcast right in the highest quality that we possibly can. We've been working on this. This has been an ongoing theme and project for the podcast for the past like four years, and we are getting better and better and better with it. Um, but we did not want to record a podcast in Augusta using just the onboard mic on my Macintosh, so that's why we decided to wait. I have not recouped these mics but I plan to, and even if I don't perish, I still have one more really good mic, and I was going to get another one. So I, I'm so committed to this that I want to try this again in Vegas. At some point, at some hour, whether it's 4 a.m., 7 a.m., 2 p.m., I do want to do an in-person podcast with you before the summer is over. Uh, I promise you not to lose the mics a second time, but it's great to finally be recording. 2 p.m. is more in my window. That, that's a good time to catch me at my best in Las Vegas. Well, you, I know, you'll have left Foothill by that point, so I know we'll I will have left Foothill High School. and uh, Yeah, 2 p.m. You go any earlier, I could be a mess. You go much later, I could be a mess. But 2 p.m., like you, 2 p.m., you can usually trust I'm going to be rock solid and ready to go. Um, are we staying? You know where I'm staying in Vegas. Are you staying at the same place? We are all staying at the same place, yes. Okay, good, good, good. All right, then we can make that happen for sure. So, I love how you don't want to say the name of the hotel out of fear that people are going to like call up. and like. Oh, it's not out of fear. I don't think anybody cares that much. It's just that when you say you're staying, it can come off like you're bragging almost. Like, gotcha. oh, look where I'm staying. So I don't want to be that guy. But, boy, are we staying at a nice place in Las Vegas. I can't wait. So apologies again for not recording for Peach Jam, but we're here now. And uh, the big topic of conversation uh, down in North Augusta, South Carolina, uh, was the possible changes to the recruiting calendar. I wrote about it on Thursday. Norlander wrote about it on Friday. For the folks who might not be up to speed, uh, allow me to summarize things as best I can and then and then we'll just talk through it. So you heard about this FBI investigation, right? Last September, it's announced, and it rocks the sport and continues to do so, most recently at Kansas and at Maryland, where those two programs have been roped in in some form. Um, in response to this, uh, a commission on college basketball was formed. It's headed by Condoleezza Rice, and they are charged with trying to to fix the sport whether they can actually do it i'm skeptical but but that's the job described so there's this working group that was asked to or volunteered to come up with recommendations for the commission on college basketball about all sorts of things but including the the normal recruiting calendar that that coaches are 
um, are, are, are tied to. And the recommendations, or at least one set of recommendations, were first reported last June. Jeff Goodman, um, formerly of ESPN, now at Stadium, reported actually on June 23rd that the working group's recommendations to the Commission on College Basketball were to eliminate the traditional July evaluation period. In other words, Peach Jam, coaches are no longer allowed to go. Any Adidas Under Armour event, coaches are no longer allowed to go. When we're going to be out in Vegas later on this month, coaches no longer allowed to attend. And these types of events that have been in place literally for decades would be replaced by regional camps and a national camp. And that would be it. That would be the extent of of evaluating prospects in the month of July. Again, Goodman reports this on June 23rd. Subsequently reported that these recommendations were supposed were expected to be uh, rubber stamped by the Commission on College Basketball and then turned into NCAA law, if you will, uh, perhaps in time for next summer. He even tweeted slides of these recommendations. And so I was going to write about this at the time, but I thought it would have a larger impact if I actually did it from, you know, the opening uh, five-day period in July, which had you and I and lots of other media members and all sorts of Division One coaches in North Augusta for Peach Jam. And so I wrote the column just sort of basically explaining, like, this isn't going to fix a single problem that you think needs fixing. It's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Best I can tell, the working group recommendation is designed to try to pull some of the power away from shoe companies and grassroots coaches and put it back in the hands of high school coaches in a scholastic setting. Now, whether that's a smart thing or dumb thing, we could debate and perhaps we will. But by eliminating coaches from these events in July, it's not going to do any of those things that they're trying to do. It will not remove shoe companies from the uh, formula. It will not eliminate grassroots coaches from decision-making because these events are still going to happen. These kids are still going to play for these teams in these events. And so it actually accomplishes nothing, like literally nothing that they're trying to accomplish. And it comes at the expense of opportunity because I don't care how many regional camps you have, how many national camps you have, a smaller number of prospects will be seen by Division I coaches than otherwise would. And so I wrote this column, and the backlash was immediate. I think people who really follow the sport understood what was on the verge of happening, but the casual fans didn't because casual fans don't tend to follow stuff like this. But when you use 1,200 words explaining in great detail why this is dumb and misguided and uh, destined to accomplish nothing, People can jump on board pretty quickly, and it got retweeted by a lot of voices that matter in the college basketball media world, from Pete Thamel to Jay Billis to Dick Vitale uh, to Mike DeCourcy, so on and so forth. And it got it like I knew the column would get attention. I thought the column was good, and and I thought I was able to make the points I wanted to make. It, it got way more attention than I thought it was going to get, and so that was that. And then. By Friday, you go around talking to some of the people who are actually involved in this process, and I'll let you take it from there. Right. So just as you had planned to write a column about this heading into Peach Jam, my plan to write 
was I wanted to see if anyone from the commission was going to be on hand at Augusta, at North Augusta or if anyone else on any of these working groups was going to actually show their face and actually come to these events because I was going to write – I was not expecting that to be the case, but I wasn't – you know thinking that there was no chance. But if it wasn't going to happen, then I was going to write about that. You know, you want to have all these changes. Where are you? Well, actually, there were a number of athletic directors that did wind up making the trip. Joe Casiglione, the athletic director at Oklahoma, was there. I ended up interviewing him on the record. Jack Swarbrick at North uh, Notre Dame. Him and Casiglione really are considered two of the ten most powerful, influential, respected athletic directors in the country. So you've got some some big-time names who are on, on hand. In addition to conference commissioners and ADs at other schools and – I mean, Parrish, we are not going to do this, nor we sh- should we, but if we really wanted to flesh out everything here, like this this issue would take four hours to get through. But um, the people that the NCAA appointed to these working groups, which are kind of just little huts that are reporting back to the NCAA's Board of Governors and to an extent the Rice Commission, they were involved in on the ground there. So I thought, okay, completely agree with Parrish's column. But I'm going to give these people the opportunity to say whatever they want on the record. Now, whether they're going to try and cover cover their rears, it's not my issue. They're going to tell me whatever they're going to tell me on the record. Phil Martelli was there. I got him. Would have gotten Bill Self, but he was actually in uh, on the other side of the state. He was in Atlanta when I was doing the reporting on this. Didn't get a chance to uh, to get Bill Self's thoughts. But Phil Martelli sits down, tells me the reaction to this is so overblown. The 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 leak from Goodman where he posted the slides about eliminating coaches attending in July was one of his words were many boxes that were used and things that were put on the table. Uh, Castiglione said the some of this can kind of be said in the quotes and there are other quotes I didn't even put in the story. But one of the things he was telling me was uh, what's happening here is part of the process. We wanted to – the process was not having word leak out, but part of the process was we wanted to get feedback from coaches. There could be different things that go through the system, and as we get through July, more uh, options might become reasonable on the table. And then the other thing is I spoke with another high-level NCAA administrator on background. I don't want to exactly drop their name uh, right here and now, but that administrator insisted to me that every consideration would be taken uh, – under serious consideration until the 11th hour. Now, some of the stuff could be true, but, Parrish, I know you disagree with a lot of that, and I will to this point as well. And you can expound on this once I'm done here. If there were other options that were legitimately, legitimately being considered, in my estimation, more than one group of slides would have leaked out. I I have no problem believing if you want to tell me that other things were heavily discussed as alternatives. I think that's possible. But as we turn to Peach Jam, even with administrators going on the road to take in that event and other events, I'm told that they'll be on the road this week and even more will be on the road in Las Vegas. We'll pro- we should be running into them when we're out there, Parrish. Um, why haven't there been other things been put out there? You know, Frankly, I asked if there was anything else that I could be provided for my story. Nothing was provided under the guidance that a lot of these discussions are still happening behind the scenes and they don't exactly want three or four different proposals out there. Bring your skepticism and cynicism if you may. I think that's totally valid. Bottom line, as you tagged in your column, it, it's kind of lame that it got to this point and this is what we are doing, but at least, at least we are seeing that the working groups – are responding to the criticism of the coaches. And I'm just going to hand it off to you there, Parrish, because there's even another set of issues 
from that set of circumstances, but I don't want to get off on another tangent that's going to take another three or four minutes to explain. Here's what I think. Um, I think it flies in the face of common sense to think that Jeff Goodman could report something on June 23rd that the people involved in this process thought was way premature and was a misrepresentation of reality and not a single person calls Jeff Goodman to try to set the record straight. It's not like Jeff's some no-name person working for some no-name thing. He's been a um, reputable college basketball reporter for a long, long time. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you this. If I were to write a story right now, just tweet even, James Wiseman has committed to the University of Memphis or the University of Kentucky, whatever. Somebody would immediately text or call me and say, oh, that's not right. You know, you don't have, you jump, you're jump the gun on this is not right. If I were to tweet right now that um, the college basketball season is on the verge of being moved to where it doesn't even start until January, somebody would immediately call me and say, oh, that's like, we've discussed that, but that's not something that's actually going to happen. Like, you're way out in front of this. Like, that's not. My point being, Jeff Goodman on June 23rd reported that this was the recommendation, getting rid of the traditional July evaluation period, replacing it with camps run that were going to be sponsored by the NCAA. He subsequently reported that it was expected to be rubber stamped all the way up and possibly go into effect as soon as next summer. He tweeted slides, and Rob Doster of NBC Sports reported the same thing independently. And I know because I asked both Jeff and Rob, did a single coach, administrator, anybody ever call you, text you, reach out to you to try to say, oh, this is not like that's one of that's one of 50 recommendations or one of three recommendations. But the idea that this is actually going to happen, that's not quite so. Did anybody reach out to say that to you? No, not one person. And so my thing is, I just find it hard to believe that Jeff's reporting was wrong and nobody called him on it. That Rob's reporting yeah. was wrong and nobody caught him on it. The truth is, the first time anybody involved in this process stood up and said, Hey, this isn't really what we're going to do. It's just one of many ideas. And we're still very much in the, in the infancy of, of these uh, recommendations was after I wrote a column and after it got retweeted by basically every prominent voice who covers college basketball and the reaction to the idea after I laid it out, the uh, reaction to the recommendation was uh, like a hundred percent. Oh my God, this is the dumbest thing ever. What is the stupid NCAA about to do? I, I think they're covering for themselves. Um, otherwise, you got to answer this question for me. Why, why did – forget what Jeff Goodman thought or Rob Doster thought or what I thought. Why did every college basketball coach I talked to think that this was on the verge of happening? The reason I wrote the column is because, hey, I thought it would be a good column. But I can't tell you how many coaches reached out to me over the past three weeks and said, can you believe they're about to do this? So one of two things. Either they're lying, and perhaps lying is a strong word, but – lying or they're 
the worst communicators on the planet because their own like coaches within the sport thought the same thing Jeff Goodman thought, the same thing Rob Doster thought, the same thing I thought, which is that this is on the verge of happening. So if it really wasn't on the verge of happening, which is what they're trying to say now, then why did all the coaches think that it was? Either they're lying or they're bad communicators. And again, I, I hesitate to use the word lying. I Perhaps I shouldn't. That, that's strong. Because I like the people involved in this. You mentioned talking to Phil Martelli, Joe Castillo. I like those guys. I got It's nothing personal against them, but... It seems to me that this is a classic case of my column. It wasn't intended to be a trial balloon, but it served the purpose of a trial balloon. And once they recognize that the coaches don't want this, the fans think it's dumb, it limits opportunities, it won't accomplish anything, then they're going to rip it off the table and they're going to come up with a new recommendation. But that seemed to be the recommendation. And if there were more out there, show me the slides. You don't take time to make slides and go into great details unless you're seriously considering actually recommending what reputable reporters were saying you were going to recommend bottom line you know how much i don't like patting myself on the back but you hate it i think i i think i say peach jam i I feel like my column last thursday is is going to be the thing that allows coaches to return to peach jam next july you're welcome everybody all right he's going to say that Probably twelve thousand times between now and you know the year twenty thirty five. So, I say Vegas. All right. Every every coach, every coach who loves going out third five day period in July and drinking to excess and getting a prostitute, I make that possible for you. I'm the one who made. I'm I'm the reason that's going to be able to continue. Hmm. You're welcome, prostitutes. If you're listening, you're welcome. I didn't expect that turn. Um, all right, you mentioned bad communication. That's a huge issue here, and I don't want to slip way, way inside baseball, but spoke with a number of coaches who are fed up with the NABC. And if you're listening to this podcast and wondering, like, you know, how much, as a fan, how much do I even really care about all this stuff? I'll just, I'll just lay it out for you. The way that your team is able to recruit has evolved to a, a process where it's not perfect, but it's much more effective, efficient, streamlined from what it was even 10, 15, 20 years ago. The sport, it's almost, it's it's put itself in a position where, yeah, there are issues and FBI stuff and all that stuff, but no one believes that sitting at Peach Jam and having events like that and having, uh, you know, the Adidas Gauntlet or Under Armour Association at the highest levels, that's really not what's cause the issues that are having a problem with the sport. So the reason why we even get into this problem to begin with is the commission assigns all these things that should happen to change college basketball and clean it up, right? Well, the NABC is this massive organization that, in speaking to coaches, lacks true leadership, a way to get information downstream, and a way to get true input from coaches at every single level within Division One. So some coaches told me they didn't even realize that all of this was happening. They didn't realize that there was a, a window for them to input their thoughts and information through the right channels so that it would be sent along to the Division One Council. This thing is so unwieldy and so massive that a lot of coaches were completely out to lunch on it. Some, some maybe it was their own fault for not knowing. Others said they just could not get anywhere to where they wanted to get in terms of passing along what they thought was a bad idea and what should not be happening here. So what you, as a result of that parish, what you get is the commission, the Rice Commission saying, 
Here are the recommendations. By the way, we got some of these recommendations from the NABC. It's one hand shaking the other, and the NABC not really getting an accurate temperature gauge or a reading from most of its constituents. So now you end up in this position to begin with. Now you've got coaches sitting at PGM saying, why the hell are they taking this away from us? We'll see if they actually do it. You mentioned about saving Vegas. Here is my prediction. The camps are going to happen no matter what. Uh, And you know what? I think we save that for another podcast and another time because coaches hate it in general, but they're coming. Regional camps, USA Basketball, that's a whole other problem in and of itself if they can even run this stuff. The NCAA doesn't have the budget, the manpower, the overhead. Like It's kind of going to be a disaster, everyone feels. But even remove that. The camps are going to happen, right? They're going to happen in June and July of next year. This is going to get voted into action on August 8th. We don't know all the details yet, but this is going to be voted on so that the changes are happening in 2019. But I think that after going to Peach Jam in particular and when they go to Vegas and these other events, my prediction is that they're going to try and appease multiple gods here and maybe wind up ticking everyone off in the process. You're still going to have USA Basketball Camp, I would guess, in July, and then you will have one period. I don't know if that period will be five days, if it will be seven days, if it will be ten days. But there will be one period where these tournaments are still allowed to be held, Peach Jam-type tournaments, elsewhere around the country, and then it's going to be up to the coaches to determine where they want to send their staff, where they want to recruit. That's the window they're going to get in addition to April. Maybe that prediction winds up being wrong, but I think the, the response from Peach Jam Parish and the fact that you had ADs on the ground there, you had ADs talking to coaches saying, look how this is run. Look how we're able to recruit not just the high-level guys, but you see those guys over there at one-bid schools, they're recruiting the last guy on the bench there. If you have camps, they're going to be screwed out of getting that kind of guy. You're actually, as your column pointed out, Parish, you're going to be hurting the kids when you do that. So I would think slash hope that if the NCAA and the people that told me what's going on, if they're actually listening, if they're actually going to allow the feedback from this ever-critical month to have an impact, then they're going to keep some part of the live period. But the question becomes, when you do that, you have to be working in concert with the shoe companies. And I was told the shoe companies have been involved in this conversation from the early onset. But the question then becomes... Are they involved in the conversation, or is the NCAA purely dictating what's going to happen here because there's a potential big hypocritical situation involved when you've got all of these schools that have shoe company deals to begin with here, okay? So you're you're really stepping in, in different territories at the same time. I think they're going to have one period. I don't know if that means Peach Jam will happen at the same time as July. All these companies are going to have to decide when it happens, if it gets bumped into August. All that remains to be seen. But I'll I'll wrap it with this, Parrish. I have never gone to a Peach Jam or a summer event where one topic – I wasn't – like, I was talking to some coaches and kind of just probing them, but more often than not, like, the coach would start the conversation with, what do you think is going to happen with July? Is this our last Peach Jam? Why are we even getting to that point? Like, it was really as much of a topic of conversation with the media and coaches as anything else, and uh, and rightfully so because within college basketball – Like, this is a very, fairly important issue, and if you change the fundamental way that teams recruit, like, coaches will get out of jobs, kids will lose opportunities. Like, the the actual foundation of college basketball will be changed, but I don't know if it will be changed for the better parish the way that the Rice Commission thinks that it can and will be. Well, like, you know, as as you should, at least I think if if you're a columnist or someone who writes columns – um, you know, I didn't just write this off the top of my head. You know, it, it, it was the byproduct of a whole bunch of conversations. And then on that Wednesday night at Peach Jam, because I wrote the column Thursday morning, on that Wednesday night at Peach Jam, 
uh, either every conversation, uh, every conversation I had, it was either started by me or somebody else, and it, but it was about this. And it would either be coaches saying, hey, can you believe that they're about to do this? Or it would be me asking random people who I trust, okay, do I have a blind spot? Am I missing something? Because sometimes you think you have a good grasp for something and, and, and perhaps you don't. Maybe there's something you haven't thought about. So I spent a lot of time saying, here's what I think. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't fix any of the problems. Am I missing something? Like, do I have a blind spot? If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I found that that's a useful question to ask people you trust. Um, you know, it, anytime you're going to have a big opinion about something. Hey, if I'm wrong, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Like, honestly, in the spirit of transparency, when I wrote a follow-up to that column and I was going to take these people who had talked to you on the record to task, basically say, I don't believe what they're saying, I sent it to you and several of our writer friends and said, hey, if I'm not being fair here, tell me. And I'll just scrap this. It, it, like, uh, it's very easy to have a blind spot sometimes. And uh, my point is this. Not a single coach said anything other than, oh, no, you're exactly right. Oh, no, you've got this exactly right. Like I wrote in the column, eliminating the July evaluation period is not going to stop prospects from uh, playing in the summer because they're still going to be tied to these grassroots teams. And still want to, Parrish, by the way. That was the one thing that like eight coaches told me is that the kids – want to play in these events one because they're with their friends but two it's the best competition possible and it's the most fun playing basketball that they have that i think that part of it sorry to interrupt but that part of it yep. is really overlooked and lost and a lot of people commenting or trying to evaluate how to change these rules right let me try to bottom line it this way um the recommendations are designed to pull players away from shoe companies and away from grassroots people but like i wrote Eliminating the July evaluation period, it won't stop prospects from aligning with grassroots teams sponsored by shoe companies like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour because those teams will still exist and these events will still take place. And it won't stop shoe companies from determining where prospects enroll in college because shoe companies will still invest hundreds of millions of dollars in athletic departments and still have an incentive to steer the best prospects to schools with which they have business relationships. And it won't stop agents and financial advisors from paying grassroots coaches, college coaches, or anybody else connected to prospects in an attempt to garner influence over future decisions because agents and financial advisors will still be in the business of representing multimillionaires. It fixes no problem, and it comes at the expense of exposure. And the story I used in my column was a story of Mike Dom, who's obviously the All-American star at South Dakota State. He's on path to be only the ninth player. If he stays healthy this season, he'll become just the ninth player in Division One history to score 3,000 points in a career. Two-time Summit League Player of the Year, All-American, legitimate pro prospect. I told the story before, two years ago, um, but it's worth repeating for the uh, purposes of, of, of this topic. Mike Dom was playing in the summer of his, before his senior year of high school. He had zero Division One offers. He happened to be in a tournament out in Las Vegas. Same event you and I will attend in two weeks. The event that according to the recommendations, would going forward be off-limits to college coaches. He's playing in an, in an auxiliary gym for a team that is fine, but certainly not you know, team takeover or Bluff City Legends or um, each one teach one or some prominent grassroots program, just a team. He's from rural Nebraska. It's not that he's invisible, but for the purposes of 
of college basketball recruiting he basically has been. He's good, but nobody knows it because nobody's seen him. Well, his plan happens to be, just because of the randomness of, of the bracket, ends up playing in a game against a team from Florida, I believe Florida, uh, led by Taco Fall, the 6'7 uh, center who is now plays at UCF. So there's some Division One coaches in the gym to see him. And Mike Don made 12 three-pointers in this game. 6'8", 6'9", makes 12 three-pointers. Well, that in and of itself is interesting. So some schools start to get involved. South Dakota State brings him on campus. They offer him. He signs a scholarship there. And again, he goes on to be two-time Summit League player of the year. He's an All-American. He's on pace to be the ninth player in Division I history to score 3,000 points. His story is impossible without the July evaluation. Because you can say that it's, been, it's going to be replaced by these regional camps, so kids will still be exposed to college coaches, but not Mike Dom. And Mike Dom would have never gotten an invitation to one of these regional camps. People didn't even know he existed. He didn't have a single Division I offer until he made 12 pointers, 12 three pointers in that game in Las Vegas. And so when you understand that, that it is actually going to fix nothing while also eliminating opportunities for people like Mike Dom, that's just bad. It's, 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 it, there's no point to, 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 to the change. And so I'm not trying to pretend, nor is anybody else, as far as I know, that there aren't issues that need to be addressed, that the sport is not um, you know, corrupted on, uh, on many levels. But eliminating the July evaluation period as we know it doesn't fix any of it. It doesn't solve a single problem. And you asked earlier you know, whether the people are going to listen to the backlash. And I think they are. And I think evidence that they are is the quotes that they provided you last Friday. I think they were already listening to the backlash and when, and I'm being serious here, I'm not trying to give myself credit, but when, when we find out that they're not going to go forward with what they, with what at least everybody thought they were going forward with, it'll largely be because either their eyes were opened by the criticism or they recognize that the criticism is so overwhelming and this is so unpopular that we got to do something else. Certainly. Um, and the fact that we're even at this point, I, I, you know, if, if those listening wonder that, you know, is this all the Rice Commission? Well, it is and it isn't. So at this stage, the Rice Commission is not a part of this whatsoever. Like, it's not signing off on anything. It has already tasked um, all these working groups to get all this done. It is It has made its report. Condoleezza Rice had her press conference. She said what she said. And it's just sort of floating out there uh, in the ether. But really, its official capacity is essentially done until Mark Emmert, you know, if he feels the need to reconvene the commission once or twice more, that may or may not happen. Um, But the reason we're in this position and the reason why there are so many coaches that have a problem with this, like, okay, if you want to say, yeah, we're in this position because the FBI story broke and then Mark Emmert wanted to change. Okay, that's fine. That could have happened and we could have had a different set of circumstances. But every coach that I talked to, I believe this. Parrish, you believe this. Most people believe this. You did not put the right people on the committee, on that commission, okay? Uh, If you wanted to have a couple of respectable voices that were on there regardless, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is you should have had 
A couple of guys who run non-scholastic summer basketball grassroots programs and have for years, if not decades. People like Boo Williams or anyone associated with with the Bluff City legend slash formerly Team Penny. Get a couple of those people on. Hey, maybe even get a coach on that commission who's been busted for cheating in the past so he can really give you actual insight into what happens, how the sport works. You didn't have the right people assembled, and so what ended up happening is you get – a bit of a homogenized, watered-down fantasy world ideal of how the sport should operate and be recruited in in the year 2018, and it simply does not match up with how things work. Now, you can make the counter-argument that, yeah, that's the whole point. We want to change the way that college basketball and its recruiting are run. Well, you can make tweaks to it without major overhauls. It's a problem when you don't have anyone in the sport on or off record coming out and saying, you know what? I'm in favor of all this. There have been a couple coaches, Phil Martelli, Mike Bray. Talk, I talked to him a couple months ago that said, hey, listen, let's just at least embrace some of the change here. Let's just see what might happen before we write everything off. Parrish, that approach is totally valid. What's not valid is to dismiss what non-scholastic spring and summer tournament basketball has become at the highest levels and how beneficial that is to players, their families, the coaches and programs at lower levels that want to recruit them, there is a real tangible benefit there. And the the apparel companies have become invested in running those events the right way. You're not going to be able to stop people that want to do things outside the rules, no matter how hard you, how tough and how hard you make the rules. Everyone you speak to about that that is involved in this process would admit to it. So if you're going to admit to that, then why take away the best parts of it? We don't have to keep going and going and going on this, but it is a, it is an issue with you know, a thousand different issues growing out of it. And now we wait and see. But the good news is we will know soon. This is not going to be something that we're still wondering about in September. Again, August 8th, the Board of Directors and the Board of Governors. Directors oversees Division One legislation. Governors oversees all levels of NCAA. They will decide what things that have been brought to them need to be put into action. And we will know very soon how college basketball in the summer will change. And it won't just be that, by the way. There's other smaller rules that we'll get to and address on a podcast after that comes out. But obviously the July stuff, it's in the here and the now. It's the biggest stuff that everyone's concerned about. The last thing, and then we'll move on, because you touched on, you know, um, certainly there are some negative parts and sides of, of summer basketball or so-called AAU basketball, even if that's not technically a correct term. Um, like that fight that happened a few weeks ago and went viral is a clear example of that. But so many of these events now, especially the ones the high-profile guys play in, are like first-class awesome events. And I do think it was beneficial to have some people who maybe have an idea or image of summer basketball that have never really experienced experienced it have boots on the ground at the events. For instance, like summer basketball is the worst thing in the world. It, like there there is that perception among some people, and you you walk in the Peach Jam, and you just take that in for one day, and it's it's you're like whoa. I mean, wh- okay, you've got elite prospect after elite prospect after elite prospect uh, playing together playing against each other, competing as teams for a trophy that matters to them. You might think it doesn't matter, but being EYBL champions, it absolutely matters to them. Like those kids want to win. Um, it is it is just as important, if not more important, to like winning a state championship in high school. They they value and and cherish that that accomplishment. 
and it's well run. It's organized. The crowds are great. The games are fun. The exposure is terrific. Like, wh- why would you want to try to diminish that in any way? And, and the truth is, they should be trying to create more things that look like Peach Jam, as opposed to trying to to diminish what that event has grown into. And if they didn't realize it before last Thursday, um, I hope the reaction. Um, you know, I hope my column and other words written about the topic and the reaction to those words have caused them to, to realize it. And if they do uh, do an about face on this and reshuffle and start over, um, I won't call them dumb. Um, I, I'll, I'll applaud them because the only dumb thing to do at this point would be so stubborn that you go through with Take a plan. Yeah. Yeah. That is nonsensical. And um, thankfully, I think they're not going to do that. Um, I, I think they'll, you know, they, they, if you if you want to change July, I am open to ideas. The only point I made is that the idea that was uh, reported as the recommendation that was on the verge of being rubber stamped was a bad idea. I'm open to ideas, but that idea was a bad idea. Let's move on. Uh, we were both at Peach Jam. We saw a lot of players. We saw a lot of coaches. Most impressive player you saw. Most fun player you saw. Um, Jaden McDaniels was my most fun. Impressive. Like, he was at times impressive. Then he had a, a couple of down moments. Um, I've got a story that just went up on him right before we recorded this podcast. Jaden McDaniels was like a top 75, top 80 kid about 12, 13 months ago. Now he is... Borderline consensus top five, and I think that he is going to – like I think by the time we get to March of his freshman year, he will set up as a player in contention to be the number one pick in the 2020 draft, provided that he develops a reliable three-point shot, and he's very skinny. In terms of his body build, again, his body build and the way his body looks. Not his talent, not saying he's going to be this good, but you hear coaches and even scouting people talk about this. He is built at this age the way that Kevin Durant was built at that age. He can handle well, really good offensive player. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of intrigue with that. I like Jaden McDaniels more than anyone else. I thought Vernon Carey Jr., who is already massive, he is already huge. He is a uh, very intriguing college player. We'll see if he can keep his his body and weight and check. You don't want to get to a situation where he's just ballooning up and maybe he won't, but he was, he was good. I thought he was a little bit better than James Wiseman uh, in their head to head Wiseman. I was most intrigued to see Parrish because I had never seen, he's obviously from uh, your area now goes to high school down there originally from the Nashville area. I'd never seen him in person. He was good, but he was not, you know, I, I watched this game against Kerry. I thought, okay, watch him another time. He got kicked out of the game. Um, uh, had kind of a bogus second technical, but it is what it is. And then after his third game, I thought, okay, he's definitely good. Like, he's going to be a one-and-done guy, and I actually really like the way that he can handle the ball. Not as good of a rebounder as I want him to be, but when you watch him, you're like, yes, he clearly is on the path to be a one-and-done player. But I remember coming to July events over the past seven or eight years, and every time I would do that, I would see the number one player on the circuit – and he just seems to be the weakest of the number one players that we've seen over the years. And a couple of uh, people we spoke to down at Peach Jam said, you know, if he's the number one player, then how strong is your class overall? That's a good question. I don't know. It looks like this might be even weaker than last year's class. We'll wait and see. Cole Anthony is another guy that I saw. I saw him for a game and a half. I didn't see him as much as some of the other guys. But 
you just he's awesome now. He's going to continue to be awesome. I just don't see a situation in which he gets to college. Isn't it really, really good? Isn't a top 25 player in the sport as a freshman, if not even better than that? I thought he was really, really good. And then one other guy that we'll probably talk about a lot next year, he's a 2020 guy. His name is Scotty Barnes, and he is really good. I think he's only like seventh in the rankings right now. I think he was the highest ranked Nike player at the event. So there are other guys in that class that are ranked ahead of him. But Scotty Barnes looks like he could uh, potentially turn into a really, really good one. So I saw a bunch, but I don't want to rattle off 10 names. Those were some of the some of the premier ones. What are your thoughts on them or anyone else that uh, that I didn't mention? I thought Cole Anthony was terrific. He averaged 26 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals in 5 games. His his team wasn't great, uh, but he was terrific. He got 27 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists in a win over – I mean, in a – I don't know if he won or lost. I don't even remember. But they, they – um, it was a matchup with Tyrese Maxey, mm-hmm. uh, the five-star uh, guard who's going to Kentucky. And so he outplayed him there. I thought he was terrific in the games that I saw. The box scores suggest he was terrific consistently. And I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately he's the number one player in this class. Right now, it's James Wiseman. And I'm with you on Wiseman. I, first, I, I, again, I, the beholder thing, I mm-hmm. thought he outplayed Terry. He got 20, uh, he, he, he went big in that game. I thought he up, but like, whatever. Um, here's my thing with Wiseman. He obviously has these moments where you're like, whoa, he's 6'11 athlete, runs the floor incredibly. Will just you know dunk everything around the rim, but yeah. but yeah. does not but does not do- consistently dominate the way uh, other elite bigs have uh, in the same setting in recent years, like DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, whomever. Uh, without even looking at the box, I one thing that always stood out to me that doesn't look like a great rebound. And when then you go look at the box scores, he's not. He averaged 5.8 rebounds per game. Cole Anthony, who is a combo guard, averaged more rebounds per game at Peach Jam than, than James Wiseman did. So that's a problem, but he'll still probably be a top five pick in the in the 2020 draft. Um, it's just that I do think that though he has incredible upside and potential uh, stardom and is a very reasonable name, the label as the top player in the class that he's not as impactful as a player as Aiton or Bagley. My point being when he gets to college, wherever he goes and it's going to be Kentucky or Memphis, I would be surprised if he has the kind of freshman season that DeAndre Aiton had or that Marvin Bagley had. Hold now up. He's going to, he's going to have a top eight schools release any, any day now, Parrish. Don't, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, Just I, narrowing it down to two. <laughs> let, let me help. Let me help any, all the college coaches recruiting James Wiseman right now. <laughs> Even if you are on the list of eight, unless your name is John Calipari or Penny Hardaway, you would be a fool to even bring him onto your campus for an official visit. It will be a waste of time. He is either going to play for John Calipari at Kentucky or he's going to play for Penny Hardaway at Memphis. There is no alternative. And I rarely speak in absolutes when it comes to recruiting because I've been surprised before. But I it – like. I know coaches like to be involved, and sometimes they can be uh, misguided. But, like, just trust me on this one. That dude ain't going anywhere other than Kentucky or Memphis. I'm not sure whether he's going to Kentucky or Memphis, but he's going to Kentucky 
or Memphis and um, and everybody else. I don't care where you're at on that list. You're you're wasting your time if you if you um, if you even pick up the phone and call him. <laughs> if you uh, bring him on an f- official visit, excited, wasting. I'm excited to see this top eight personally. That's, you're wasting. I don't even. I, I don't even know why a top eight. Like, what is the point? You're really just at that point stringing people along. Like, he's a he's a teenager, and you know, I you know, I I think differently at my age than I did when I was a teenager. And if I were a teenager as awesome at anything as he is at basketball, perhaps I would just be listing top eights and top fifteens too. But it's it's a two I, school. I, one real quick story. Um, uh, from PGM because this is an this is an obscene list. So I was I was talking with Roy Williams at one point and he was going into like just how recruiting used to be and all this stuff. So he starts talking about Ralph Sampson. He, you know, Ralph Sampson was the number one recruit in the country. He went he only went on four visits. It was like Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and I don't remember the fourth one. But uh, he starts talking about all this stuff. He's like Ralph Sampson in his senior year. You know how many visits he went on? He went on four. He cut his list in January of his senior year of high school. Do you know how many schools were on that list? And I didn't kind of get what Roy was going at. And I said, I don't know, three. And he goes, 52. <laughs> like, what? Can you imagine in 2019, James Wiseman cutting his list down to 52 schools <laughs> in uh, January? But it was a different time. He was getting all these letters. and Because, like, every school in the country in 1981 or whatever wanted to recruit Ralph Sampson. But that was just... Hilarious to imagine. Yeah, I, I decided to cut my list down. I'm I'm really narrowing this thing down. Fifty two schools. You got a right. shot still. Crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, several several years ago now, I spoke at a coaching clinic down at Florida uh, that Billy Donovan and Larry Shiat were running, and um, you know, I I spoke about media stuff, but like I I I was there for the entire clinic. So Brad Stevens was there, and uh. You know, a whole bunch of people were there. It was it was a good time. But one of the interesting things Billy and Larry did was they brought in a, a guy who had nothing to do with college basketball, but he was a expert in sales. And so companies would bring him in to do seminars for their sales representatives to teach them do's and don'ts, just like sort of the mindset. And Billy brought him in because Billy had seen him somewhere else. And thought that a lot of the things he was teaching sales representatives were like great lessons for college basketball coaches when it came to recruiting. And so one of the first things the guy said, um, and I thought he was really good, he asked the coaches in the room. And it was like, I don't remember who was there, but there's probably 50 coaches in the room. And he said, how many of you, when you start recruiting somebody, how often when you think you are going to get the guy, do you actually get the guy? And they went around the room, and, and the consensus answer was, usually when you think you're the guy, you end up being the guy. And they said, okay. How often when you're clearly on the outside looking in? Like when you are just, it's, it's man, I'm in there, but like, ah, this, this, the odds are stacked against me. How often do you overcome those odds and actually get the guy? And every coach was like, almost never. And he said, exactly. So why are you wasting your time? Like, don't, like, it, the, the, you would love to get a yes, but the best thing you can get besides a yes is an early no. Get out of it. You're wasting your time. Like, if, if, basically the lesson was, if you enter a recruiting race and you think you're, you're, and you, you, they tell you you're in the top five, 
but you're pretty sure you're fourth, get out of it. You're, you're wasting your time. And I think that'd be a good lesson for everybody recruiting James Weissman <laughs> for Don Calipari and Penny Hardaway. I, I don't care where you're at on the list. Get out of it. You're wasting your time. Another kid I saw that I love, C.J. Walker. And I ended up writing about him a little bit. It's a borderline top 60 kid, at least right now. He's going to go way up when people update their rankings. He didn't play in Peach Jam last year, um, but he was tremendous at this Peach Jam. And I think it was on Thursday night he had a 40-point game against Vernon Carey's team, dunked on Vernon Carey, and subsequently picked up offers from like Louisville, Texas, Memphis. He's somebody who really helped himself. 6'8", combo forward. Um, has always been a great athlete who dunked everything. But, you know, an offensive rebound and got putbacks. But now he's putting the ball on the floor. He's creating shots for himself. Seems to have really improved his game. Comfortably shooting threes. Like, I don't see these guys nearly as often as the recruiting analysts do. So I trust them. But there's just no way there's 55 better players in that class than, than C.J. Walker. And, um... You know, I, I don't want to say exactly who, but I'm in that gym on Thursday night. And he's been recruited. He's been offered at this point by basically every high major in his region. So he's from Orlando. So, like, most of the SEC schools have offered except for Kentucky. And most of the ACC schools have offered except for Duke and Carolina. Essentially, he's he's got offers from everybody in his area except for the Blue Bloods. And an assistant coach from one of the Blue Bloods was in the gym. And he texted me. And he said, who's number 14 for each one, teach one? And I said, I texted back. I was like, that's C.J. Walker. And he was like, oh, okay, okay. My point being, he's not really on their radar because these blue buds that are recruiting at the highest level of the sport are recruiting nothing but top 30 kids, top 20 kids. Um, but he was so impressive that he at least had one of the blue buds um, reconcile going, hold up. I, I, this kid's ranked 60th in the country, and we don't usually dabble down there, but Maybe this is somebody we need to pursue. He was that impressive. I like him a lot. He was impressive. You had told me about him before I saw him play, watched his next game after we had that conversation. And I'm not a recruiting analyst, but in watching him play, he seems like a top 30 talent minimum in his class overall. Uh, very, very bouncy, good handle, just ton of poise on the floor. And it's great to go to this these events like Peach Jam in Vegas and hitting up a number of different uh, shoe company events because I like seeing these kids at this age before they get to college because I like to see how they wind up growing and changing. And you can kind of remember – like I remember Ben Simmons going to Peach Jam and just dominating the event. From, a, from an individual standpoint, uh, let alone what his team was doing – he just did whatever the hell he wanted to. And so it's no surprise to look up and see Ben Simmons winning Rookie of the Year because he looked like he was going to be that good that quickly in the NBA. I don't think there's anyone that was there this year who qualifies with that. But uh, undoubtedly, there will be some players that even we haven't mentioned or haven't written about that either we'll see in Vegas or they'll grow two years, three years from now in college to become really awesome players, borderline All-Americans. And you go back and look and you see... Oh, he was actually the third guy on this team at Peach Jam. It's a really good spot for players to establish their origin stories as they prep for college. Um, let's move on. Last thing uh, before we get out of here. The NCAA announced yesterday, I believe, four yes. future Final Four sites. And 
If I would have prepared properly, I would have them right in I, front of I got it. For, I got you for it. I mean, I can roll it off if you want. Cover for me then. Okay, so we already knew 2019 to 2022. That would be Minneapolis this upcoming season. Then it's Atlanta. Then it's Indianapolis. And then it is – why am I forgetting the final one, Parrish? <laughs> Um, okay, but I know the ones that were announced. So uh, then you've got Houston 2023. San Antonio 2025. That's right. You've got Phoenix 2024 and then back to Indy 2026. Um, we're not going to do the sports writer thing and bitch about locales and all that for the most part. But I will say this. It's the first time, Parrish, if you go back and look at the Final Fours in previous years and you kind of figure out when they were cycled in and when the bids were awarded – this is the first cycle of Final Fours that did not feature a new-slash-different destination. All four cities that were picked, Houston, Phoenix, Glendale, San Antonio, and Indianapolis, those are the four most recent cities to host Final Fours right now. If you go back 2018, 17, 16, 15, those four cities had it. Normally, like the previous rotation brought... Um, you had Minnesota in the fold. You had Phoenix as a new one in the fold. Detroit, some years back, was kind of revived after a long layoff, like the same way Minnesota was. So you usually have a, a, a city. Houston, even, it had been so long since it had hosted when it was announced. It was like, okay, that's a little bit different there. We don't really have that for the 2023 to 2026. So that was a little bit of a bummer and a surprise. There's... Probably, like, if if you could get someone from the NCAA to explain it to you on or off record, there's probably a reason that Los Angeles didn't get uh, the bid this time around. Because on its face, it just seems like the wrong decision. Like, why would you not want to go to L.A., take advantage of that stadium? It's L.A., it's out west, it's a change. Instead, nothing against Houston. It's just not an ideal Final Four city. It's just not. The NCAA made the right choice not to pick Dallas uh, slash Arlington again because that stadium's way the hell out there. And... Frankly, it wasn't it wasn't an ideal spot, so they made the right call in bypassing that. Don't really quite get why L.A. didn't get in. I would hope that the next time these bids come up, which won't be, I think, for four or five years, L.A. get in, and please, please tell me, Vegas, Parrish, there is no more incredible scenario and situation for the sport of college basketball than putting everything that comes with the Final Four in Las Vegas. I don't think it will happen, and we'll get test runs in the tournament before we get to that point. But holy hell, if we could one day get a Final Four in that Raider Stadium in Vegas, it, it would be unfathomably incredible. But, uh, but we're a ways off from that. Um, I'm not going to bitch about Final Four sites, but I would like to explain. Because I tweeted yesterday after the announcements were made, like, here, here's what makes a great Final Four site. If you have a dome, and then you have lots of great hotels and lots of great restaurants and bars, all within walking distance of each other and that dome. That's it. Period. I don't care about anything else. That's it. It's why Indianapolis works well. San Antonio works well. New Orleans works well. I think actually even... Atlanta and St. Louis work well. You don't want cold weather. That's preferable. Um, and you want a dome within walking distance of great hotels, great restaurants, bars that are within walking distance of each other, period. And it's why I explain. Like, that, that's why those cities work well. And cities like Houston and Dallas just do not. And I guess all people who live in certain cities are very protective of their cities because everybody loves where they're from, or at least most people do. Um, and so uh, Houstonians, 
Is that way is what uh, you want? That would be it. Yes. The Stonians have taken uh, great offense to to this, and 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 other people with jobs like mine saying the exact same thing. In my opinion, Houston is the worst. Worst Final Four site. And I say that before we go to Minneapolis. <laughs> like I, I'm intrigued by Minneapolis. I'm oddly intrigued. And plus, I grew up in Vermont. I don't mind the cold. You think Houston – I thought Dallas was worse than Houston. They're both bad. Yeah. And here's why. Listen, Dallas is an amazing city. It and is. I'm, and, and Houston is too. I just had some friends who moved to Houston. Like, Houston's a wonderful city. But just a terrible place to have a Final Four because the Dome is not close to anything. The best settings, San Antonio is this, New Orleans is this, India is this, is when you walk outside on that, really on that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. When you walk outside, everybody is in the same small area. All the coaches, all the media, all the fans, everybody. Everybody's walking around in a, in a mile radius because everything is so close together. The dome, the restaurants. The, the, the bars. The live the, concerts. Like, just the, the atmosphere the live, of it of all. Yes. Yeah, it just feels like, whoa, man, this is it. We're at the Final Four. Like, when we're in Detroit, half I, the people... I didn't people, go to Detroit, so you got to fill me in on this. Well, half the people were staying in Canada. <laughs> like, literally in Canada, because they got an unbelievable casino resort over there. Um, it was freezing. Like, it was actually snowing. And, you know, I'm not one of those p- people who, like... Takes a crap on cities. Like, I know <laughs> I mean, how I, I'm from Memphis. People take a crap on Memphis all the time. But, and so, like, I'm not going to be the guy that, like, Detroit sucks, Cleveland sucks, you know, Milwaukee sucks. But, like, Detroit's cold. And when you get half the people that are there for the event staying literally in another country, it rips away the atmosphere. And same thing in Dallas. People are staying all over. You don't walk around and immediately bump into. Uh, like let's just say Indiana's at the Final Four. If if the Final Four is in New Orleans, you can't walk five feet without seeing an Indiana fan. If it's in Atlanta, same deal. If it's in San Antonio, same deal. Indianapolis, same deal. St. Louis, same deal. In Houston, you walk out of your hotel and never see an Indiana fan. People are all over the place. And so that is what makes a good Final Four. And I had these people from Houston, they're like, you don't understand. Uh, Houston has an amazing light rail system. I don't want anything to do with your light rail system. What do you not understand about we want to uh, – here's the deal. When you fly into a place for a Final Four and you take a car to your hotel, you should never get in a car again until you have to go back to the airport. That's a great Final Four site. I don't care about your public transportation, about your light rail, about your uh, entertainment district, you know, five miles this way. I need everything in the same spot. And so if it were up to me – that would be the criteria. Does it fall under what I've described? Dome within walking distance of lots of great hotels and lots of great restaurants and bars. If it does, that's a great place to host a Final Four. If it doesn't, let's find somewhere else. Thumbs down, double thumbs down to Houston nonstop. The exception to that is Vegas, which you think is small, but it's Vegas, not. Gigantic. You, you think that you can walk the strip and it'll take you like an hour. No. No, 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 no. I, you, we run into this every summer. Some genius says, but um, where are we going? MGM? Yeah, MGM. Well, it's just right there. No, it's not just right there. <laughs> it's that, is, that is a 30-minute walk. I know it looks like it's just right there. It is not just right there. No, you – well, that, that would be, yes, Vegas, except 
my I mean, it's so good at hosting. It, oh, it's just <laughs> like I mean, it's uh, it's it's you can get everywhere. That is the one exception I would make is Las Vegas, of course, because because um we just figure that out because the all the best clubs, all the best restaurants, all the best hotels, and just a scene where you know it, it almost doesn't matter where you're at, like you're involved, like it's it's popping. Yeah, you and know, so, I, yeah, it is, and I wonder. Please give me a Final Four in Vegas in my lifetime. But I actually wonder if, uh, in fact, I bet you this happens, if the NCAA just waits it out and waits for the college football playoff to do it first. Because someone's going there. They're sure. going. It's get, That building is getting used. They wait. They, they almost see that as a test run before they vote on it. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if that winds up being what happens. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'll make an exception to my rules for Final Four sites for Las Vegas. And I'll take other recommendations, but Houston is like, it's a beautiful city. I, I, I love your city, but it is a terrible place to hold the Final Four um, because it doesn't actually feel when you're there like you're like you're at a Final Four. Certainly not the way it feels when you're in San Antonio or New Orleans or, again, uh, Indianapolis. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Shouts to me for saving Peach Jam. Shouts to the prostitutes for making sure they have coaching clients each July going forward. And uh, remember to subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. You guys have been great about that. The numbers have been um, really, frankly, as as much as we like ourselves, surprising and uh, humbling, and we're forever appreciative. So um, if you've already subscribed, awesome. If you haven't, it takes a couple of seconds. Please go do that. Five stars, nice comments. It really does make a difference in a variety of ways, some of which I understand, some of which I do not. But I do know that it makes a difference. So um, if you got five seconds to go do that, um, it'd mean a lot. That's all we ask. And we will talk to you again next week. We promise. Till then, take care.